including softball. Now, before we get to the games that yours truly and Jim Lout called on Saturday and Sunday, the Bulls had one on Friday, and we said, you know, the issue with the team, if you want to call it that, has been offense not always there. And again, they were getting held down by Lehigh. Now, Lehigh has a quality left-handed pitcher in Gabriella Nori, and the Bulls couldn't get anything going off her until call on your ace pitcher, to open the scoring. Ryan Urquhart had the call on ESPN+. Cork on the first pitch, sends it deep to left field. Is there anything she can't do? Cork leaves the yard, and South Florida takes the lead in the sixth. Georgina Cork, a no-doubter to left field. And the legend of Georgina Cork grows for the Bulls. They add another run in the inning. It's funny how that started things going against Corey, who had only given up two hits. Cadlib. John's both single, then you have a sacrifice, bunt and air and all that stuff. Madison Epperson makes it 2 nothing, and that was the final score. Then you go to the weekend, and the game on Saturday morning is called by yours truly against Purdue. Remember, they shut out the Bulls with the stunning home run against Georgina Corrick. one nothing. The Bulls left the bases loaded twice. Well, this was an even more stunning home run by Purdue. Came to Tampa on a high loss to Lehigh, but then got that stunning one nothing win against the Bulls, and they have won three one-run games here. Oh, man, that could be gone. Hit deep to left field, and could it be another Purdue homer against Georgina Cork? It is. Unbelievable. Emily Cox, first pitch she sees, blasts one out of here, and she stomps on home plate, falls down. First of all, I can tell you that didn't go over well. Secondly, I could understand it. Emily Cox was getting her third start, in her third season at Purdue, had never hit a home run or had an extra base hit. She was 2 for 25 last season and 1 for 10 this year. So that's how it was going. But then finally, after not being able to score against Purdue, the Bulls' RBI leader comes up in the bottom of the fourth, and then we'll take it to the top of the fifth, where again, the Boilermakers were doing some showboating kind of stuff as their outstanding leadoff hitter was intentionally walked to load the bases. And Purdue was thinking, yeah, you guys are chicken. It was the right strategy as Georgina Cork got out of it. Alana Rivera comes up now and gets it through. They are going to send Hanlon around. Let's hope for a score. She took a wide turn, but she scores. There it is, the breakthrough against Purdue. Rivera, the RBI leader for USF, gets a big one, and we're tied at one. Purdue is celebrating like, and their fans are going crazy. Imagine this is not the first time that Rachel Becker has been walked intentionally, but Purdue is acting like it is. And that's a good fastball taken on the outside corner for strike two, one and two. Of course, if you're Purdue, you're thinking only if it's in your zone because we'll take a walk, but Corrick, that was her, yeah, second walk, but that was intentional. Second walk of the inning still, one and two. And did she go? I think she did on that changeup. They're gonna check down at third base, she did. Work fires. Oh, there's that screwball. Starts on the outside corner and taken for strike two. Now the crowd kind of responding, I'm thinking, to Purdue's fans. Lustily cheering the intentional walk or getting loud. Boy, the Bulls infield is way back here. And a rise ball taken high and outside, 0-2. So in a game where Purdue took a lead in the second inning and got some breaks on their end, escaping some jams. Maybe it can swing here. Either way, it's going to swing one direction. Let's hope it's the Bulls. 
with the bases loaded. Cork on one and two deals. What a miss for three! Rise ball, Foreman throws the ball down. So yeah, this game had plenty of drama in it. And finally, the Bulls take a lead against the Boilermakers in the bottom of the sixth. 1-0 to Jersey. Winning run at second. And that smoked right field. Can that finally get over the head of the center fielder? It does! Dylan finally a play she couldn't make. And the Bulls take the lead. I'm telling you, all day long, hard hit balls have been getting caught by their outfielders. And that one, if you take that out of context, you would have thought, no way is it going to get caught. But at the last second, Dylan closed on it and almost made the grab. But a third hit and an RBI double for Josie Foreman. And the Bulls have the lead for the first time today. The first time against Purdue. It's two to one. Then a nice sack bunt by Alana Rivera makes it three to one. And of course that was plenty for Georgina Corrick, who struck out 12, went to 20 and one on the season. Then, well, Aaron Pepping's been the number two starter and been solid, but they went with options three and four and it didn't work out against Ohio State. Again, Lexi Hanley for the second time in less than a week holds down the Bulls. They Beat her in the five nothing game, but she struck out ten and shuts them out. Run rule loss nine to nothing. So Sunday figured that'd be okay because they'd win both games against teams that had combined just won one game in Tampa, and that was of course when they played each other. Canisius was the opponent on Sunday game one, and as promised, now we have highlights for you here on the unlimited unloaded page. We told you on the stream it was a home run derby. Here's your audio proof, including a two-homer game by a certain bull. So that makes sense, and she delivers a ball that Pond crushes. That's going to hit on the base of the wall. That's going to give the Bulls the lead. Center fielder, I thought, had a shot at it. She was about 10 feet away from where the ball actually landed, and Vivian Pond continues to rake. It's 1-0. Boy, that ball's hit it well. It could go over the wall. It does. Josie Foreman, opposite field, blast. And I mean, that was some serious oppo power, and it's two to nothing. Josie with her third home run of the year, and that was a no-doubter. Two-nothing Bulls. That's another reason why this game is being played later, if you were curious. Vivian Pond strokes one to center field. That's got a chance, and it's out of here. Boy, on a line to pretty much the deepest part of the park, and again, Two weeks ago, Vivian Pond did not have an extra base hit in her three-year career. She has two today. She now has eight of those babies in the last couple of weeks, and she is on fire. It's four to nothing. Vivian Pond just unleashed. Ooh, that ball is destroyed. Going back on it is McGee Ross, and that's a second home run for Josie Foreman to the deepest part of the yard over the center field wall. And they are just having a day. It is six to nothing. Josie's first career two-homer game. And the day was off to the kind of start you'd figured it would be. And Georgina Cork was pitching in this game, so you knew that was more than enough runs. And they got the run rule victory, actually. So she went to 21-1, and won, six innings pitched, eight strikeouts. There was a chance she was going to set the all-time record for career strikeouts, getting to 11.04. She needed 13, so she's five away. More on that in just a little bit. So, then St. Thomas comes in. It's a 3-20 team. Now, they had been respectable in all their games. They had lost an 11-7 extra inning game to Canisius. They had led Lehigh by three runs. They had led Purdue and lost all four of their games. And they were a really good Division Three program 
won a couple of national championships, always a playoff team. But again, after winning their first two games this year, first season in Division One, had gone 1-20. and So you figured that would be the team you wouldn't pitch Cork against, and it was a fine strategy as the Bulls were up 4-1. to No problems, including more extra base prowess from Vivian Pond. Hit well, and that's going to be more extra bases for Vivian Pond. Piera held up just in case, but Sheehan was taken off, and she will make it a two-RBI double for Vivian Pond, who is making a bid to be the conference player of the week. It is four to one. My goodness. Just incredible. Again, her first career extra base hit was a double against Army. That was a Saturday, basically two weekends ago. And then the next day against FAMU, she had that triple. At that time, she was hitting below 200 until the FAMU game. She's now hitting 276. If you go back to Wednesday night when she had the four RBI with a double in there against Niagara, seven hits, eight RBI, four doubles, and a home run. So that is definitely weekly honors, if not Offensive Player of the Week material. So everything was going well. Aaron Pepping was one out away from getting the four required for a victory, and man, did the game ever change in the top of the fourth. An uncharacteristic error, and St. Thomas takes full advantage. Yeah, we had some of the extra highlights on the positive side, but here's what happened if you need to know why the Bulls were upset. All you need to hear is the top of the fourth. This is that ball well inside, 2-0. and Boy, just trying to navigate this inning. Lexi Kopko is warming for the Bulls, and would love for Pepping to finish out this frame with the lead intact. Hopefully with the same number it is now, 4-1. and one. It looks like it's going to happen. A squipper. Oh, it eats up Alana Rivera. A tough hop off the bat of their number nine hitter. And now here comes a lefty at the top of the order. And does Ken Erickson possibly make a change here to the lefty pitcher? First and second, two outs. A dangerous lefty hitter up. And boy, you know he's got to feel terrible right now is Alana Rivera. In fact, she just came up to Aaron Pepping and pointed to herself as if to say, my bad. Because if she makes that play, Pepping's in line for W. She'll get a nice hand. And now Lexi Kopko will come in to try and get out of this jam with a dangerous batter. Now, after a fouled off pitch, Kopko is one strike away from really doing the job here in a tight spot. Four to one Bulls lead, but oh, that ball is crushed. And can Johns make the play? No. One run scores. That should be it as they get the throw into Epperson. So nice job out there in right field by Johns, but also the great with runners in scoring position, Caitlin Raymond comes through with an RBI single, and it's four to two. So that walk to the 086 hitter, Banneke, hurts as Miller was the pinch runner who scored there. Johns, it looked like it might hang up four, but not quite. Now another lefty, Ellistad, and man, is she dangerous. Seven players in their lineup with at least a dozen strikeouts. She's not one of them. Oh, no. She's just taking this ball out of the yard. That's what you feared could happen. She puts her arms out like, yeah, that was easy. Well, maybe a little showboaty for my taste, but I'd be feeling pretty good about myself, too, if I just gave my team the lead with a three-run homer. So the air absolutely proves fatal. Yeah, even that first hit almost got caught by Alexis Johns. I mean, she made a great effort. I tell you, if the error doesn't happen, if the catch happens, it stays 4-1 Bulls win this game. Instead, they just kind of fell apart, and St. Thomas kept adding to the lead against Antoinette Hill 
10-4, the final score. In fact, the Bulls did not get another hit after Pons' double in the third until there were two outs in the game. It's a kind of loss that, you know, it's a big win for the opponent, which, by the way, I think St. Thomas will finish above last place, which is where they're picked to finish in their first year in Division One in the Summit League. But nonetheless, it's going to knock the Bulls more than likely out of the top 25. However, Tuesday against Canisius, I'm almost certain that Ken Erickson is going to go with Georgina Korik. She needs five strikeouts to become the school's all-time leader. Why do I say almost certain? Because guess who comes to town Friday? UCF. I don't think you need that additional level of drama going on around what's already going to be an important enough series. So hopefully she pitches, and we'll have that historic moment for you Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Either way, I will be on the call for that game. Bulls still have a great overall record, but unfortunately a loss like that, as we said on the broadcast, is probably going to hurt their chances at hosting a regional and unless they really run the table in conference play. And why is that important? Because if they don't host a regional, I can just tell you based on history, they're headed to Tallahassee or to Gainesville, and those are two tough places to go either one for the NCAA tournament. We're a ways away from that, but that does not help the Bulls' cause. 27-7 and seven, still a fine overall record. And incidentally, Georgina Corrick's updated numbers, despite the one home run, the one run she gave, up 21-1 and one with a .15 ERA, 141 innings, 215 strikeouts, and just 13 walks on the season. Good stuff on GoUSFBulls.com detailing the Bulls two days in Miami at the Hurricane Invitational. Starting off the outdoor season, Aaron Carter began with the championship in the discus. He is a senior transfer from Arkansas State, originally from Palatka, and Stone Baker, the River Ridge kid, wins the pole vault then on Saturday, day two. Three more wins and ten spots on the podium, and Romaine Beckford already showing how he can do things, including being named All-American in the high jump, wins the javelin throw. The 4x4 men's relay team of Joshua St. Clair, Elijah Wright, Michael Bourne, and Monse Parker wins that event, and Patricia Rochova and Sanique Walker finish 1-2 in the women's 800 meters. Again, go to the website, gousfbulls.com, for all of the results there. Mixed results for the tennis teams. Again, competitive, but only 1-3 over the weekend. The women defeated a shorthanded Wichita State team on the road Friday, and by shorthanded, they only had five players, so they had to forfeit one doubles court. Still, the Bulls were pretty comfortably in front. In fact, given the fact that they had already gotten a one nothing lead on the three doubles courts, they just needed to win one of the actual sets. And Margaret Timmermans and Grace Schumacher won 6-2. Then in singles, again, getting a forfeit win on the number six court meant that with the five matches going on, the Bulls just had to take two of them. And actually, all of the matches could have gone Wichita's way, so it was a good thing that Marguerite Timmermans won her second set after winning the first set in a tiebreaker on the number five court. That was actually the only match that did not go three sets, so the big one also, Laura Perlisse winning her third set in a tiebreaker, and Grace Schumacher, who lost her first set in a tiebreaker, winning in three. Again, very tight match considering the circumstances, but the Bulls get the win. Then on Sunday, they took on a very strong Tulsa team ranked 37th in the country and lost it 4 to nothing. And really, all three singles wins for Tulsa were comfortable. 6-1, 6-3, 6-2, 6-1, And they were about to win at number four singles. The other two could have gone the Bulls' way. In fact, Sierra Berry had won the first set and it was in a third. And Laura Pellissier had won her first set, although the Tulsa opponent had taken the second set. So 
Christina Morris's team is now 4-11, and and they will play Houston and Rice back-to-back, but not in Houston, at home, and separated by a week. Kind of an interesting coincidence there, although probably not coincidental, that they're scheduling Rice as a future conference opponent. The men's team is now back to 500 at 8-8. Eight and eight. They had that big win, of course, against 16th-ranked Columbia, but then you go to play the number two team in the country on their home court, and that's a tough ask right there. The Bulls lose it 6-1. to one. Of course, TCU also head coach Ashley Fisher's alma mater. All the double sets were very close, but all prevailed on by TCU. Their number 12 player in the country is their top player, Juan Carlos Aguilar. He rolled Ivan Yatsik 6-2, 6-1. In fact, three easy wins for TCU in singles. The other three matches were closer, but the Bulls only took one of them. In fact, nice win for Alvin Todorica against a top 100 player. Everything was decided overall, so Todorica forced a third set, and they just played a super tiebreaker, which is what you do in those situations. And Todorica won his 10-3. to Actually, Chase Ferguson took a set off the number 14 player in the country, Luke Famba. They went to a third set tiebreaker, but Famba won it. Still overall, definitely a deserved win for TCU, which is accustomed to winning matches. Then, this was the tough one. The Bulls could have improved their ranking, no doubt, with a win at number 42 SMU. And the Bulls led this match briefly after taking doubles and the first singles result. It came down to a tiebreaker at number two doubles. Chase Ferguson and Ivan Yatsik win it. Then in singles, Todorica again, a second win in straight sets. The other five matches all went three sets. And all of them went to SMU. Clearly, the Bulls were right there with the Mustangs. But of those five three-set matches, basically they needed to win two. And they went 0-5. Bruno Oliveira, who had the big clinching singles win against Columbia, lost his second set in a tiebreaker. And then that was that. Julian Steinhausen beats him 6-love. Bulls had actually rallied to force three sets in three of those four with Yatsuk, Ferguson, and Sergio Gomez-Mentesa all dropping their first sets to force a third. But SMU was just too tough on that day. That's going to do it for this extended version of Bulls Beat on the Unlimited Unloaded page. Again, no show on Tuesday, but we will be talking to several members of the football team on Tuesday after their practice. We're getting, well, before you know it, to the spring game. So be aware that on Wednesday's show, you'll be hearing from Brian Patti, Jimmy Horn, and Kelly Joyner. 